Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Mason Ingle. Mason is a writer and filmmaker from Columbus, Indiana. Mason's short film, Men's, earned third place in the Broadcast Education Association Film Festival and was accepted into the prestigious Hollywood Florida Film Festival. Mason is also very passionate about community involvement has spoken at Hope Elementary School for Read Across America Day and the community Facebook channel Celebrate Columbus. Some fun facts about Mason. He loves sci-fi, fantasy, and anything by Neil Gaiman. He's a Hufflepuff, slowly learning to accept that. He went to Purdue, but bleeds Carolina Blue. He was a math major, emphasis on was, and he loves independent bookstores. Mason's new short film, Books Tour, 30-minute documentary and the story of his road trip to 50 indie bookstores in 50 days is releasing in mid-July to raise money for the Book Industry Charitable Foundation. The foundation is using 100% of the profits to help indie bookstores recover from the pandemic. Mason, we are very excited to have you on the show today. How's it going? It's going well. I'm excited as well. Thank you for having me. My first question on this podcast is always, where are you in the world right now? You told me before the podcast, but for the purpose of the listeners who don't know, tell us where you're based and how does that affect your creative process? Well, I'm based in Los Angeles. I just moved out here about six months ago to work on the film, actually, with a, a film editor friend out here. Before Los Angeles, I was based in Columbus, Indiana. That's my hometown. So I, I always get comments since I moved out here that I'm so polite just because I say please and thank you and, and those basic things that in the Midwest are staples, but out here, a little bit more rare. But as far as how it affects my creative process, it's just nice to be around other people who are in at least similar fields, entertainment. I live with a YouTuber. My other roommate is another film editor. So that energy is just, it's been really productive for me. Obviously, what you're working on has to do with bookstores closing during the pandemic. Pandemic did happen this past year, affected mm -hmm. people in different ways. Writers, filmmakers, creatives can be sometimes an isolated group. For you, were you affected by the pandemic in your writing and your creative process? And then as things start to open back up, how is that affecting you? Well, honestly, I wasn't affected too much because I was quarantining before it was cool. <laughs> I really just spent most of my time working pretty isolated to begin with. There were so many things that I wanted to finish, books, writing-related projects, and the documentary. I actually had to be told that states were shutting down in March by my executive producer. I didn't even, like, I don't watch the news or anything like that. So I, I've been fairly unaffected by the pandemic in that sense, but it has made me value, as I think it has done for many people, it's made me value the opposite of isolation more and to think more about my relationships and to prioritize those things, which was actually a big motivator for 
continuing to make the film, even when the logistics got 10 times harder with travel restrictions and all of those things. So the creative process, it, I like to think of it like you're writing a poem. You can either write free form and just kind of flow wherever you'd like, or you can write within a structure, a sonnet or something like that. And it doesn't restrict your creativity as much as it does funnel it and force you to, to be more creative, I think, in some way. So the pandemic has done that for me, and it's certainly done that for the film. Before we talk process, I would love to hear a little bit about your origin story. I mentioned it briefly in your bio, but did you always want to be a writer and filmmaker? What's your relationship then with bookstores? Tell us about your career trajectory and your story leading up to this point. Yeah, well, I, I wrote my first book or started my first book when I was 12 years old, I think between sixth and seventh grade. I made it 80 pages in before I realized it was just a slightly altered retelling of Pirates of the Caribbean. So I gave that one up. But the bottom line is, yeah, I've always been very interested in books, always a voracious reader. I fell in love with Harry Potter at a very young age. Redwall was another series favorite, Ender's Game, and some other books by Orson Scott Card. So I was sucked into the world of writing very early on. My first real book didn't come though until I was a senior in high school. This was, say, December of my senior year, so I would have been 17. And I just finished my soccer season, my final soccer season in school. So I had like four, five hours after school with nothing to do. And I was always a very driven type A kind of kid. And I, I just got bored and I decided to pick up writing again. So I, I wrote my book and kept it a secret all the while while I was writing, ended up using it, printing it out, dedicating it to my girlfriend at the time and using it to ask her to prompt. So that was my big motivator to keep going. Ever since then, it's just been a huge part of my life. And now it's gotten to the point where it's not a hobby, of course. It's if I didn't do it, I have no idea what I would be doing. I'd love to dive into process and talk a little bit about the book's tour, what it is, why you started working on it. I'm just going to read a quick synopsis. The book's mm -hmm. tour. When a self-published author started visiting the most unique indie bookstores around the country, he intended to promote his novel on Amazon. That didn't last long. He realized there was a priceless something that everything store couldn't sell. A new cross-country road trip, dozens of bookseller interviews reveal what that something is. The number one unexpected reason we should all shop indie. All proceeds from the film's release will benefit the Book Industry Charitable Foundation. Mason, tell us about the inception of this project. I know that in this description, it mentions that you set out to go on this tour for a different reason, and then you ended up turning this into something else. So walk us through how it came about. Yeah, well, I think I, I dodged this first part from your question earlier, and that's my initial relationship with bookstores. When I was growing up, we in Columbus, Indiana, we had one main independent shop kind of on our main street equivalent. But for some reason, I didn't really shop there. With my mom, I would go to Walden Books in our town mall and just browse the shelves there, had good relationships with the booksellers. So from a young age, and really up until I took the first road trip, indie bookstores weren't really a big part of my life. I never really got it. 
I suppose. Then in 2019, I was trying to figure out ways to promote my self-published novel on Amazon, and I, I felt like I had tapped out the digital market. I don't know how true that is, but I was looking for another channel to promote the book in, and that's when I turned to brick and mortars. I thought it'd be cool if I got into independent bookstores. So my plan was to take a road trip from Indiana to California and back and visit 50 independent bookstores in 50 days. And at each place, I would give away a copy of my book. I would talk to the bookseller, ask for feedback on the writing, and basically request that they sell the book in their stores. So the first part of the trip was straightforward. I went to the first eight or 10 stores or so. And by the time I got to Lawrence, Kansas, I had my pitch pretty well honed. So in Lawrence, I was walking up to a little shop called the Raven Bookstore. And I saw this pamphlet, this black and white zine in the window looked homemade and home printed out. And the title was How to Resist Amazon and Why. And I looked at the pamphlet and I looked down at the book in my hand, which was available only through Amazon. And I realized what in hindsight is glaringly obvious. And that was, I'd been traveling around asking these booksellers to promote something, to promote a product that was available only through their direct competitor. And yet, the folks that I talked to had been exceedingly kind. They had welcomed me with open arms. They were very supportive, very enthusiastic, even despite this slap in the face that I was offering them in supporting Amazon. So that just made me that spoke to me. It made me curious about the industry and it made me want to learn more. So I finished that trip with a slightly different approach to booksellers, got back to Columbus, started doing a lot more research. Then this past summer, in the summer of 2020, I hired a cameraman from my alma mater at Purdue and we took a second trip around the East Coast interviewing dozens of booksellers and trying to get to the heart of that very basic question, which is, why should people care? Why should people shop at any bookstores instead of Amazon? And throughout the course of both of those trips, I, my early relationship with bookstores being kind of, or with indie bookstores being kind of non-existent, I've really transformed that opinion. And now I, I don't shop anywhere else. Are you able to talk about the reasons why people should care? Or is that something you'd rather tease so that people can find out when they watch the documentary. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll hold on to, to one. And that's the main reason for me is, is something that I don't think many people think about, but was really the final nudge that I needed to make the transformation. But of course, there are plenty of reasons to, to shop indie. A lot of those, for me, are more logic-based. So we've all seen the infographics about where your money goes when you spend it at a, a local shop compared to a big box store or an online retailer, we're told that shopping local is better for the environment and employs local people. And those are all great things. But I think the central reason, and this is less of a, less logic based and more, I say that the film isn't a five paragraph essay trying to compel people to shop indie. Our goal is to make them want to shop there. And here's the reason why I think we're able to do that. During the course of the pandemic, we, after the first wave of logistical nightmares, we were all 
pretty easily we could order things cheaply and conveniently online and get them in a very like a small time frame as we have been pre-pandemic. And yet, even with that cheapness and that convenience, there's been spikes of anxiety across the country and various mental, emotional problems. It just points to the fact that that's not enough. That convenience is not enough to let us feel fulfilled. We're looking for something more, both in life and I think in our daily interactions, our commercial exchanges. So what we've tried to emphasize in the film is that what people have been deprived of during the pandemic is exactly what indie bookstores offer. And I'm hoping for most people that'll be reason enough to support them. Love that. This film is releasing to raise money for the Book Industry Charitable Foundation. As I mentioned, the foundation is using 100% of the profits to help indie bookstores recover from the pandemic. Can you walk us through what the experience was for bookstores during the pandemic? Many of us can assume maybe how they were affected, but from your experience, what have you learned? How have these indie bookstores been affected and their owners? I'm assuming many have maybe shut down and some are opening back up. Walk us through. Yeah. So, and this kind of piggybacks on what I was just talking about, but the main value offering of indie bookstores is it centers on connection and human interaction and human experience in the store. So during the pandemic, it was especially hard to continue that value. The pandemic took away the bookstore's bread and butter, basically. So it's not like they've just lost an avenue of their business. They've lost the entire thing. What I learned during the trip, though, was the owners of these places are incredibly smart and scrappy and savvy business people. They're not just the librarian type that will just read all day and do nothing else. This is a very slim margin business, and there are challenges without the pandemic to be conquered. So they were in a very good place to be able to adjust. Practically overnight, they became fulfillment centers for shipping out books. They had to revamp their phone systems to take phone orders and to try to offer at least a little bit of that human interaction component that you can't get even through a bookstore's website or through email or something like that. So while they've been transforming their whole business models, they've had to do so with rapidly disintegrating bottom lines. We heard numbers across the country when we were doing interviews, revenue down 40, 70%, reduced store hours. Some stores had to lay off booksellers, though many were very good about retaining their entire staff during the pandemic, which I think is amazing. But it's it's been a huge struggle, mostly because of the bread and butter being taken away. And that's why I thought it was so important. Even when the pandemic first started locking us down last March, that this wasn't a project we could postpone because the stores need help right now. And the foundation, the Book Industry Charitable Foundation, also known as Bink, has been the industry safety net during this time and really for the past couple of decades. And we were super excited to partner with them and excited for the work that they are doing for the bookstores. Love that. When you set out to make this documentary, this short film, from a writing perspective, how did you go about coming up with the structure, the outline, so to speak? I imagine, obviously, with documentary filmmaking, you're kind of capturing it, figuring out the story after you film, but was there an outline process? So in, in my writing, I am 
very much a planner. I like to have a step-by-step, chapter-by-chapter outline of what's going to happen, who's doing what, and I'd like to know how it's going to end. But like you just said, with documentaries, that's rarely a luxury that you're able to indulge in because (laughs) life is much more complex than a story. And that's a little bit of what we were trying to capture. Really, all I was able to do in planning the film was to figure out what the thesis was or what the question was we were trying to answer. The question being, why should we shop at an indie bookstore? And that through that filter, I was able to see the interviews and write the interview questions, chipping away at the various answers that booksellers might give and just trying to provide a 360 degree answer as opposed to a more one-dimensional approach. That was the, the first part. The second part was what the story would be. Because like I said, this isn't a five-paragraph essay of laying out specific supports in favor of bookstores and mudslinging at Amazon. There needed to be a narrative of some kind. Luckily for us, a road trip is almost always filled with stories. So part of the film tracks my journey with my cameraman around to the bookstores. And I'm thinking out loud about the interviews, the conversations that we've just had with the booksellers, processing the reasons in favor of those stores as we go, and just having a little fun with the crazy little things that happened on the road. But it was, it was very stressful for a planner like me to surrender to the process and get into the editing room and just hope we had something to cut together. Luckily, we we did have something to cut together, and I think it's going to turn out really well. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writerexperience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. What about the process of interviewing people? You mentioned you were trying to, as you went, figure out the thesis and the story. But obviously, when you went into those interviews, I imagine you had a short list of questions that you were hoping that would bring the story out. How'd you go about coming up with those questions? Did those work? Did you have to adapt those? Yeah, so we, we broke the trip into five different legs. So the first five to six bookstores, we focused on one topic. The next five to six, 
a different topic and so forth. That allowed us to break this big question down into its subcomponents. For example, the first topic that we focused on was what I think is the most obvious differentiator between indie bookstores and Amazon, and that's the physical in-person human experience. So we asked booksellers, what is in that that is compelling or what's magical about it? And we tried to define that first moment when you walk into a bookstore. That was a recurring theme, a recurring answer, just talking about the exhale when you walk into a place and the decompression that you feel, which is so valuable nowadays that we're constantly moving, constantly going, constantly being just receiving volleys of content, like little arrows on our brains. It's so, so valuable to go into a place where you feel protected from that and more grounded. So it was an iterative process though, overall, in in trying to to squeeze out those answers, or at least to do so in a, a structure that would be that we could organize in the film. I'm sure you have plenty of experience. Well, I know you have plenty of experience with the interviews. But it always changes on the fly. I'm sure you've had interviews you've planned that you thought would go one way, and that in the course of the conversation, you just really latched onto a certain topic of course, with someone. Of course, and yeah. you just you have to be willing to to follow that and to follow your intuition. And that's something I got better at during the trip. But the booksellers were they led the conversation. It was their passion that led our talks, and it's the passion that shows through in the film. You mentioned the editing process, and you also mentioned, I believe you were in the LA area with your editor working on this. Walk us through, at what point do you start editing? Do you capture everything and then bring it in and help you have something? Or is it a process where you're moving the footage over, starting to build a rough edit as you go and figuring out what else you need? Walk us through that first early editing phase. We were so overwhelmed with the trip itself and trying to conduct as good of interviews as we could and getting to our next store on time and trying to get a few hours of sleep at night that we were not able to do any editing during the actual production. So we got home and got (laughs) rested and fed and then started digging into all the footage, which was a pretty imposing task because we were looking at over two terabytes of footage, almost 40 hours of interviews and a whole ton of B-roll. The process, we didn't even start trying to assemble the film for the first two or three months after we started digging into the footage. The first task was just organizing what we had or trying to understand what we had because we didn't know what kind of puzzle we could put together until we knew what the pieces were. So my job was to go through the interviews. I've listened to the interviews at least three or four times for each bookseller. And I would go through and mark the questions they were answering at a certain timestamp and highlight areas that I thought would be good sound bites to include. Eventually, we printed out transcripts of all the interviews. I'm, as a writer, I like to see the words on a page and be able to move those things around. So we kept chipping away at that organizing task until we had more manageable pieces that we could start moving around and slotting in place. And that's when the narrative started to come together. And that was really the fun part after we had put in the grunt work at the beginning. Love that. As far as the book industry charitable foundation, how did you go about finding that foundation? Why them? And how did you go about collaborating with them and figuring out how to 
work with them so that they will benefit from the film's release. Maybe this goes back to my first trip. So it's a little confusing. I've taken two big bookstore road trips. The first one was in 2019, 50 bookstores in 50 days. And the most recent one was in 2020 around the East Coast instead of the West Coast interviewing the booksellers. But I think I finished the first trip feeling a little guilty, like I needed to do penance for the industry in a way. And that's what prompted me to start looking for ways we could have an actual impact. It would be one thing to make a pro-indie documentary. It would be another to kind of put our money where our mouths were and to raise money for the bookstores in some way. Bink, the foundation, was really the only choice. And I don't say that in a bad way. It's a terrific organization, but they're so established in the industry that it was a very easy choice for us to make. Just to give a little background, why we were excited to work with Bink, over the past few decades, they have been the safety net, as I said, for the industry. If a bookseller suffers from an unexpected medical expense or there's a death in the family and they have to cover funeral costs or something like that, something unexpected that could be a serious financial drain on them. In that profession, it's not always possible for them to just tap into some safety fund and pay out of pocket for those expenses because it's such a low margin business and because the wages aren't great. No one is getting rich selling books. Booksellers aren't, at least maybe authors. But Bing is there to provide almost insurance for these people. If they do come upon these financial drains, Bink is there to support them. It just makes the profession a profession instead of a job that you get for a while out of college. That was something that the booksellers talked about often is making careers out of selling books and just making sure people take that seriously and that it's a sustainable profession. Bink has been a huge part of that and we were excited to support their mission. With the documentary coming out in the next say month or so, what do you hope for those listening or for those who are going to see it to take away from it? Obviously you mentioned your thesis and the goal of obviously contributing money to bookstores. But what do you want people to take away? Is there a lesson? Is there other themes that you haven't mentioned that you want people to take away? I think the main thing is a slight reshuffling of priorities. Right now, many of us evaluate a purchase based on how good the product is and how much it's going to cost us. All other things equal, if the products are equivalent, we'll probably go with the cheaper item. But there are other factors to consider in any purchase decision in any commercial exchange that I think we've devalued to this point. And those are the things that we've discovered we couldn't get online during the pandemic. Despite getting our packages in one day or two days or three days, we were still cut off and isolated and people were frustrated. I don't know if you drove much during the pandemic, but that was evidence in an uptick in road rage, it seemed. In many other ways, online Facebook arguments seemed to become all the more common. And we were just starved of, of what we need as humans. And I think now that people realize that and they realize the consequences of being starved in that way, I'm hoping that between that experience and 
the message that's contained in the film, I'm hoping we'll start to value that connection a little bit more and be willing to to pay for that and to value it enough in our our purchases to make that a priority. Mason, I have a few bonus questions, which we call a series of seemingly random questions. Let's do it. First one, we're talking a lot, obviously, about bookstores. And obviously, there's a why to why you're doing this. Obviously, bookstores to you mean a lot. Could you tell us your most memorable experience, whether it's from childhood or your road trip at a bookstore? I knew you were going to do this to me. This isn't an easy one. (laughs) I would say most memorable. It's, of course, impossible to choose a favorite and all. I would opt out of that question immediately if you had phrased it in that way. But something that, that I've taken away from every store I've been to has been a little bit different. So, for example, Books Are Magic in Brooklyn, they had my favorite ever bookstore music playlist and their the neon sign. They were very good at setting the mood in Brooklyn. And in Story and Song on Amelia Island in Florida, the design of the store was almost scientific in the way that you moved around the space and the way the aisles would open up at a certain point and the decoration. The owners are professional, like consultants in the book industry. And this was watching the pros at work. So just going on this trip, and at first we thought we would just be getting all the same footage at every store. We would have a checklist of things to record, and that would be it. But it wasn't so one-dimensional as that. We would go to a place, and there would always be something different, something unique, something that would distinguish this store from the stores that had come before. And that was the thing that amazed me the most as we went on the trip was that we never got bored going to a new bookstore. It was always a new adventure. My next bonus question, what is one thing people don't know about bookstores or bookstore owners? Well, I'll tell you what I didn't know. I'm sure other people have been smart enough to realize this, but when it's important to realize that when you walk into a story, your local shop, Books Your Magic, Story and Song, wherever you're going, when you walk inside and you see the books on the shelves, hundreds of books, thousands of books, tens of thousands of books, all of those books, each individual book was chosen by someone, either by the owner, by the purchaser. Someone was sitting at a computer corresponding with a publishing rep, analyzing past sales, what has performed well in that area for them in the past. And they're making hundreds and thousands of decisions. There's not some site you go on for booksellers and drag and drop 10,000 books into your store. You have to choose those things. And it's so special because the bookseller is making those decisions in the context of that specific community and in the context of that store. It's much more tailored to the local area than people realize. And now that I do know that I've kind of peeked behind the curtain in that way, I'm always humbled when I walk into a store and I see all the books because I know the labor and the love that has gone into each one. The second to last question, if you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose, which restaurant and why? Hmm. I think you mentioned this in my bio. I would probably take Neil Gaiman. One, because I'm just in love with his books. Two, because the man has the most entrancing voice you'll ever hear. He narrates his own audiobooks. So I would just sit in, I don't know, <laughs> we go somewhere super American 
like McDonald's and just sit and I could listen to him talk about anything for hours. That'd be a great lunch. What would you order? What do you think he would order? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I would order, I don't know why this is the hardest question of the podcast for me. I would order chicken tenders and fries with barbecue sauce. And he would order, I think he'd order a Big Mac. Just seems like the Neil Gaiman thing to do. Love that. The very last question we ask this at the end of every episode. If you could choose one learning or insight from your career to pass along to writers, what is the one thing they would say? I would say to trust the power of your subconscious. There are so many times when we get to a a hurdle or a block in our creative process, and our natural inclination, or at least my natural inclination, is to push, is to bang my head against the wall until I knock the wall down or figure out a way around the wall. But as I've gotten older, as I've written more and had more experience with film, usually the answer is so much easier to come to if, for a time at least, you just let the project go. And that doesn't have to be for weeks or months. It could be for an afternoon when you had planned on writing, but it's just not flowing at the moment and you need some time to step away. We've been told our whole lives to work hard and that to always just keep pushing. But there's a virtue. There's definitely virtue in that, but there's wisdom in knowing when to, when to let go and when to return. And that's just, I think we're mistrustful of that path because it's easier and we've been conditioned to suspect easy as like a shortcut or a cheat. But really, that's just what our minds need sometimes is a little space and the answer becomes a whole lot more obvious than it was before. Bonus last question. If you could choose one learning or insight from your time on the road traveling to different bookstores, what is the one thing you've learned that you would like to share? Specifically with regard to bookstores or in travel? Either one. Okay. With bookstores. And this will be my final tease. But we've talked about the more logical reasons why it makes sense to shop local. We've talked about the human connection part. But there was one, one thing that really stuck with me during the trip. It was a recurring answer that no one really addresses explicitly when considering why we should shop indie. It's something I hadn't expected to come upon during the trip. But was really the final thing that that completed my transformation from Amazon lover to lover of any bookstores. That's the big answer in the film, and I'm excited and nervous to hear what people think about it. Love that, Mason. Very last question: Did you have fun today talking to us about both what's going on with bookstores, talking about your documentary about bookstores? I had a blast. Thank you for for having me on. I'm so glad. We were able to carve out time. Of course. Mason's new short film, Books Tour, a 30-minute documentary and the story of his road trip to 50 indie bookstores in 50 days is releasing in mid-July to raise money for the Book Industry Charitable Foundation. The foundation is using 100% of the profits to help indie bookstores recover from the pandemic. Mason, did you want to plug anything else? I know your focus is this documentary and supporting bookstores, but did you want to plug anything else? I'll just say for the documentary, we are 
selling pre-orders right now. So from now until July 7th, if your viewers need a little bit more time, I can provide you a special link. But we are selling pre-orders right now, and 100% of the money we raise during the pre-order period will benefit the foundation. So it's $10 for a digital rental and $25 for tickets to the virtual premiere, where we'll host a little Q&A with me after the film. And those things, if you buy now, between now and the 7th, you will redeem those tickets in mid-July when the film is released. So you can do all that at thebookstourfilm.com. Bookstour is B-O-O-K-S-T-O-U-R, thebookstourfilm.com. And I would love to share the film with you all. So that's my plug. If you're listening, please check out thebookstourfilm.com and check out the Bookstore film when it's out. Mason, thank you so much for your insights and your time. And thank you for doing what you're doing. It's obviously a very noble and important cause. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.